0: This week on Young Nostalgia, we have a retro look at futurism: its themes, characteristics, and wild predictions. Let's take a look. Hello and welcome back to Young Nostalgia. I'm Nolan and beside me is Ben, as always, on a brand new, refurbished, Baby Changing Table. We love recording on brand new services every week, and it's so good to be back. Ben, how you doing, big guy?
1: Oh, I'm doing pretty good. How you doing, Nolan?
0: Not too bad. Uh, Actually... Let's talk about life a little bit. We talked last week while we while we were off air, talking about how we both just got new mattresses. I know we're pretty much uh, brothers um, going through life together. We, we both got mattresses in a box. Mine's amazing. I've never slept better. No, this is not a plug. We are not making money off of this. Out of our estimated 19 listeners, count them, 19, that's three more than we had last week. So thank you guys so much for joining us and growing the show. But- uh, I have never slept better, man, uh, and I've slept on a pile of rugged bricks,
1: and this is slightly better. <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, I don't I don't uh, know which one you got, what brand, what the instructions were at all, but I know when we just got ours, uh, you know, when the instructions said, you know, do not open it until you're in a place, do not open it pretty much till you have the box on the frame where you want the bed to be. Um, and I kind of, right. I kind of, I follow the directions, but I also kind of blew them off. I'm like, you know, okay, whatever. It's not going to, it's a foam mattress, so it's not going to expand that much that fast. And I was super wrong. Uh, as soon as I started unwrapping it, this thing just started expanding out and it's starting to fill up the room and unflop and unfold. And I'm like, Oh my God, get it into position, get it into position. <laughs>
0: That's so funny Michelle was actually home when ours came So I was at work and I had no idea And she sent me a picture of it uh, out on the floor And it fit in our living room fully unrolled I didn't know what it looked like in the box But when she took it out But the TV and Xbox and everything else was still intact The record player, so I'm guessing it wasn't awful Kind of what she told me that It was like folded in half and then rolled up And then vacuum sealed But what they did is that they actually had like a plastic wrap Around it to keep it together Mm -hmm. so like you take it out of the vacuum seal so it's still there and then at that point you're like brace yourself for whatever
1: (laughs) is about to come so they give you a little bit of a break which is kind of (laughs) nice right yeah it seems to be pretty much how this one was too and they're definitely not joking around when they say make sure it's where you want it before you unfold it because right you know i mean it's not only that, but it's not like an old mattress where it's got handles on the side and it's sort of rigid and stuff. You know, it, you try to pick it up and it just folds in half like a taco. <laughs> right. I, actually, I love it. And then we got a frame,
0: of course. Um, and one of the Amazon reviews that I paid, I paid attention to was <laughs> uh, they said, make sure to put Loctite on the screws when you screw them together because... A uh, consistent type of adult activity would apparently start the frame to squeak. So I super glued that crap together. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Absolutely. All right. There's so, looking at as
1: a side story, Amazon reviews, you know, it, it can be very entertaining. You can just go look at random products on like the featured section of Amazon and read the reviews because there's there's gonna be all kinds of people asking ridiculous and extremely entertaining questions. Oh, I know.
0: I love it's- it, and I, <laughs> I love it when it's like not necessarily an American company. So the company's response makes absolutely no sense.
1: Right, a you whole can, bunch of grammatical errors. You can. It's very obvious that a someone who doesn't really know English typed it, or b it was ran through Google Translate and then copy and pasted into that uh, <laughs> answer or question or whatever it is. <laughs> Oh my God, dude, I didn't tell you about this. So uh, in the cube world
0: where I work, I kind of work in like an off (laughs) section of the office and the air circulation is terrible. So I ended up buying a desk fan from Amazon and it's cheap. I mean, it does, it's, it does its job. It's quiet, small, runs on a USB power. I'm like, okay, this is perfect. It comes in and I take it out of the box and it's like, it's a box within a box. So it's (laughs) like the box fan and then it's in the shipping box. So I get it and I put it out and it came in after work. So I just have it sitting on the dining room table. So I take it the next day, and Michelle sees it and she's like, "Where did you buy this from?" I was like, "Well, just you know, Amazon. It was quick and easy. Prime membership makes it nice." And it turns out that they spelled "quiet" wrong on the box. It's just "quite," <laughs> and it's. I mean, it works, but you can obviously tell that that this is not uh, this was not made in Texas. No,
1: that's that's super funny because that's not even like it's a. uh not even like it's a difficult word.
0: I know. You know. It's I know. not
1: some long four syllable word that, you know, even like I would have to like scratch my head on how it's spelled. It's like quiet. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love it. But you know, it's still
0: kicking. It still works. So we're it's good. good. Oh, I've oh gotten some gosh. sketchy
1: Amazon stuff too, and it's it's some sometimes that stuff outlasts, you know, brand name, expensive stuff. It not always by any means, but it it can be good.
0: Right. Absolutely. I love it. All right. Episode 65, we're going to be talking about retrofuturism and kind of uh, us looking back on the art and fashion uh, trend back from the early to mid-1900s. We're going to be talking about the characteristics as well as the themes and trends of the uh, retrofuturism movement, I guess. But back then, it was kind of referred to as futurism. Um, And then we're also going to be talking about and rounding out the show with the insane predictions that they have as well as a surprise that they um, actually somewhat got right so it's gonna be nice to get into it and kind of uh, talk freely and openly about a cool style but definitely outrageous times let's take a look and we'll get into it All right, we're back. So we're going to give you a quick overview of retrofuturism. Uh, Feel free to just Google that bad boy and let us know if you actually like that kind of art style. We think it's kind of cool and uh, really cool colors and concepts. Um, If you look it out and you like it, let us know. Give us an email at youngnostalgiapod at gmail.com for an overview of retrofuturism. It was kind of a movement in the creative arts, showing the influence of depictions of the future produced in an earlier era. Like we were saying, kind of uh, back in the 50s, early 1900s, uh, through science fiction, pop culture means of marketing and advertising, they used this retrofuturism to say, you know, this product or uh, this is kind of what the future is going to look like and feel like. Um, Very unpredictable, but trying to wrap their heads around the changing of technology. Um. It was characterized by a blend of old-fashioned retro styles with futuristic technology. Retrofuturism explores the themes of tension between the past and the future and between alienating and empowering effects of technology. Ben and I kind of talked about this a little bit. Uh, ben has kind of some good information about how uh, on a Reddit post that he was following, just based <laughs> on research, on how like fast-paced technology was changing, we were almost scared of it in a way.
1: Yeah, and uh, we'll... Kind of the more specifics we'll actually get to um, a little bit later on in the show, but a kind of a overall theme is is really the American futurism that everyone thinks of uh, was late fifties and spanned to the early sixties. Now this is uh, kind of commonly thought of as a uh, Kind of result of a post World War II phenomenon, and it's 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 widely thought of that it's based out of you know all the technology that was developed for the war effort. I mean, there was huge strides in science and technology during World War II, um, as well as met extremely intelligent individuals working on this. Well, after the war, there's less there's less of a demand for, you know, all the things that were developed. So we saw a lot of the stuff transition over into the civilian and commercial market. And that's kind of where we see a, a big jump in just, you know, household amenities and that sort of thing. And going along with that is the um, kind of the the idea of, uh, you know, the progression of technology for home use um, as well as uh, – Kind of the the whole vision of tomorrow idea, and it's it's a really cool concept, and it's there. There's there's all kinds of stuff involved. I mean, there's a little bit of the Cold War in there as well, and so a lot of these technologies that we see were, you know, based off of a uh, kind of a dystopian theme, um, and it's it's kind of a it's one of those perfect storm kind of things where everything aligned just right. And then an entire trend in uh pop culture, in art, uh definitely in in uh science fiction, both in literature and uh movies and television shows. And it's just a, a whole trend that I've always been really fascinated with. Right.
0: And it's almost how technology was changing so fast that we thought we would have flying cars in 30 years. Obviously, mm-hmm. that didn't turn out, but it was moving so fast without us understanding it. Um, obviously, you know, it, it did move fast. We are huge leaps and bounds above what it used mm-hmm. to be. But uh, th- the only way that they could understand is how, how technology is growing so fast, it must be looking like this uh, on the consumer level uh, that far into the future.
1: Right. So it's not. Uh, re- oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's not hard to it's not hard to see the thought process behind that, too, because you you kind of always think of you think of the next day as an extrapolation of the past several days. You know what I mean? So if 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 technology is moving forward at just lightning speed, you're just going to assume that it's going to continue moving forward in a certain direction at, At lightning speed you know what i mean exactly exactly um
0: kind of a cool idea to kind of round up this overview is historians joe corn and brian horrigan stated that retrofuturism is quote a history of an idea or system of ideas like an ideology um and kind of how even how it goes throughout generations and generations how our minds now are set in so so far into the future of you know what's coming next back then the future like even now of course the future does not exist except it's just an act of belief or imagination couple that with how technology was growing so fast that not normal people could understand retrofuturism came out mm-hmm. um and so since this other bold one's kind of small uh, i'll take it so then that way you can take all of the characteristics sure. um just to kind of put a definition of the difference between futurism and retrofuturism, uh, we talked a little bit about this before coming on air. Retrofuturism is a movement in the creative arts showing the influence of depictions of the future produced in an earlier area era. So futurism is sometimes called a science bent on anticipating what will come. Retrofuturism is the remembering of that anticipation. So kind of when we're thinking about the art forms and marketing that was huge back in the 1950s, that's futurism, and now. Us taking a look back at it and and kind of either taking that imagery and spinning it onto today and kind of merging the two of technologies that are real now versus technology that are not that's retrofuturism but right now what we're, what we're kind of doing is taking retrofuturism in its proper form of how we're looking back on how they predict the future to be mm-hmm. so that's kind of where we stand right and it's- at least on the episode and what we're talking about
1: It's, it's not a, it's not a super easy differentiation either. Um, because we talk about, you know, the golden age of futurism, you know, being, uh, 1958-ish to 1963-ish. Well, there's plenty of futurism in pop culture going all the way up into the seventies and eighties, which is also where retrofuturism kind of, you know, kind of got its start as well. So there's kind of a weird overlap between the two, you know, it's, you know, there's the futurism, which is you look at today immediately right now. And for me to envision what something's going to look like in the future based on right now would be futurism. But 10 years from now, if I look back on that same thought, it's retrofuturism. And so it's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of weird to think about, and there's a kind of a fine line between the two. Right, right. All
0: right, big guy. Char- characteristics is is all you. All we'll right. be right back. I just want to play this transition because it's absolutely amazing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right. So as far as characteristics go, there's two main overlapping trends. Uh, which can be pretty much summarized as a future as seen from the past and the past as seen from the future. So, the first trend, retrofuturism proper, directly inspired by the imagined future, which existed in the minds of writers, artists, uh, filmmakers, fashion designers in the pre-1960 period who attempted to predict the future. Uh either in serious projections of existing technology um, or projections of totally new technology. The second trend is pretty much the exact inverse of the first, futuristic retro. It starts with the retro appeal of old styles of art, clothing, uh, and then graphs a more modern and futuristic technology on top of that. And this is... It's just I looking at it, I think the second one is what we see is what we see most kind of uh, we take those those same ideas, the old uh, vision of tomorrow ideas. And then we we kind of add in our own technology on top of that, like say, you know, there's the easiest way to describe it for, I think, you and I is looking at this trend in video games. Um, Might not necessarily be something that, you know, our entire audience can identify with. um, But it's kind of a, it's kind of those same old ideas with a if I knew then what I knew now kind of spin on it, technology-wise.
0: Absolutely. Um, I'm trying to think of, like, you know, good, prominent things in this kind of area Um, that people would understand there's like the fallout games that are Mm -hmm. huge on this kind of retrofuturism just based on like technology advanced so quick that technology almost fought back and kind of almost put us back into a stone age Mm -hmm. but still surrounded by the futuristic aspect of what it used to be Um, the bioshock games are kind of like that Uh, even when we can talk about like marvel comic books kind of look at like how far ahead of their time and the art world that they were kind of predicting just kind of like future technologies or just technologies that are just so bizarre but obviously this super villain has
1: it you know mm-hmm. well that's i mean that's been a kind of a a common theme uh with with comic books in general is there they take uh how do i want to say it they have a they don't need to explain, have an explanation for w- why this superhero can do this. Well, it's because he's a scientist and has the technology to do it. You know what I mean? Like, there's there doesn't have to right. be a real-world world basis behind any of it. Um, and so the, the imagination of, you know, the writers can run wild. And pretty much anything that's dreamed up can be put down on paper and made realistic is kind of the way that I look at it. So it's not necessarily Marvel is kind of the the key player in this, but it can it can be uh related to everyone else. I mean, uh with Batman with DC with his uh, you know, gadgets and whatnot. I mean, that's all stuff right. that, you know, wasn't real. But no one really questioned it because it's I mean, it's a comic book, but it's Still plays off these same ideas of looking at the future. Exactly. And it's so you kind of started talking about the Marvel stuff. Um, another another key player in uh, in the whole futurism movement uh, that we see in the United States is uh, H. G. Wells and uh, World of Worlds. That's that's such an iconic. Uh, I book an idea, Um, been made into movies several times, Um, and I think that's the best illustration of the kind of dystopian future that is an an offshoot of futurism in general. I mean, there's all this kind of stuff that's uh, life-changing, home automation and that sort of stuff and then it can go a totally different route where whether it being um technology itself or it's some sort of foreign extraterrestrial entity as in world of worlds um of you know basically bringing total destruction um right and we see that i mean that's the basis of uh, most of the the futurism and retrofuturism science fiction that we see is basically you know technology progressing so far, which is great and all, but then turns right back around and it it ends up being uh, detrimental or uh, the death of mankind. One thing I was kind of thinking about when you were talking a little bit earlier is uh, is how much the original Twilight Zone series kind of plays on this. Oh yeah, that's actually a really good idea. Yeah. Um I know that there's there's all kind of, really just think about it. It's hard to find one that doesn't have sort of a uh, a futuristic uh uh futurism, sorry, uh feel to it. I mean, there's uh one in particular where there's uh prison colonies on other planets or asteroids, I mean. Um you know, convicts would be sent to Astro basically to live out their days in their or their sentence in isolation. And, you know, there's those uh, you can look at the imagery as well with the the really goofy, futuristic looking rocket ships that, uh, you know, the big bubble windows on the sides and swooping fins down. You know, that's such uh, iconic imagery, uh, you know, what we're talking about. Right. Right.
0: Absolutely. I love it. And and it's almost like a part of that with, you know, the Twilight Zone or um, War of the Worlds and that kind of stuff is, is like maybe not that technology is progressing so fast, but that the technology that we don't know is possible already exists and now is coming after us kind of thing. Oh, yeah, exactly. From a different society. So that's kind of that kind of perspective, which is super cool. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's like uh, you know, we might have our own technology here, and that it's, oh, we're we're so superior. Uh, this is the greatest things ever happened, and then something, whether at another, uh, civilization or, yeah, I guess yeah, civilization come along, and you know the the earth, you know, uh would not necessarily even know how to handle it. Mankind wouldn't know how to handle this problem because it's like, holy cow, this. we thought we had the greatest, latest and greatest technology. Well, in fact, we're inferior in every way. Right. Yeah.
0: Oh, man, I love it. All right, so uh, we'll switch over to Golden Age of Futurism, which was 1958 to 1963. The period between 1958 and 1963 might describe it as the Golden Age of American Futurism, if not the Golden Age of uh, Retrofuturism. As a whole. So, marked by the founding of NASA in 1958 and the end of the Jetsons in 1963, these three years were filled with some of the wildest techno utopian dreams that American futurists had to offer, um, also known as the visions of tomorrow. So, this can kind of play into Uh, marketing and ads as well as um, just science fiction um, the twilight zone just like all of that kind of stuff was grouped into this where people were so fascinated with the future like the jetsons were you know set in 2000 and then you have like 2001 a space (laughs) odyssey all of this stuff culminates to make people's minds run wild um, with this kind of high hopes that you know in the next 10 years life is going to be so much easier mm-hmm. but obviously that doesn't happen yeah um, i'm but glad people, you brought you know, up
1: those year ranges uh just now because I, I had totally forgotten that you know the the year that the jetsons were supposed to be set in and, and obviously 2001 a space odyssey is uh, 2001 but um i mean looking back on it like say the jetsons in 1963 and I, okay that one it's a cartoon you know i i, I it's hard to say how serious the creators actually were. But to look forward only, you know, 40 years, um, and that being the potential reality in 40 years, just, I'd look then, who knows? But looking back on it now, it's like, holy cow, that is like, that's like a lifetime of technology. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, they didn't even have iPhones, but they sure had flying cars.
1: Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, I completely forgot that was only set in 2000. That's crazy. Absolutely. <laughs> Gosh.
0: All right, man. Tag teaming it back to you for themes. All
1: right. So we talked, I think we talked a little bit about it earlier with, uh, you know, the the kind of basis of futurism and retro futurism kind of. Uh, coming into effect after World War II, um, looking at it just in the occurrence, the relatively new occurrence of, uh, you know, retrofuturism in pop culture. Um, although retrofuturism, due to the varying time periods and futric- futuristic visions to which it alludes, um, does not necessarily provide a unified thematic purpose or experience a common thread of wow. (laughs) Take two. (laughs) Wow. Uh, the, (laughs) The basic idea is dissatisfaction or discomfort with the present. Um, and that is the present in general, not any sort of specific idea technology, just the present. Um, to which retrofuturism provides a nostalgic contrast. Uh, one of these themes is kind of it's kind of split into two basic themes, kind of that similar that kind of are in parallel to the characteristics we talked earlier. Um, one such theme is dissatisfaction with modern futurism. So in some respects, an act extrapolation of the present to the future produces disappointing or even ghastly results um, exemplified in cyberpunk and other dystopian futures often characterized by overpopulation environmental degradation social degradation um, other things like the transfer of power to unaccountable private entities or governments uh, you know fascistic regimes that sort of thing Um, right so compared to a realistic vision of the future, and I'll say realistic um, in regards to like what what the future will probably hold. Um, so compared to a realistic vision of the future, retrofuturism examines a world which may be more comfortable or at least less or at least more capable of being understood while evoking nostalgia for a time of forward-looking hope and romance. So, the basic premise of all of that is not liking what the future will probably look like, and so reverting back and and kind of going with a a fantasy version of the future which is based off of um, kind of a more innocent past.
0: Right, and and it's so cool I mean, you were talking about this And um, kind of like the societal degradation Almost, it kind of reminds me of like 1980s uh, sci-fi movies Especially like Blade Runner comes to mind mm-hmm. Especially because they input a lot of uh, scenery And um, props that are like ads, you know So like, what is a Coca-Cola ad gonna look like When you're in 2046 Or, you know, something like that mm-hmm. And kind of how... The world has gone to shit and now they're kind of dealing with the consequences and this is just kind of what everyone has accepted at this point. But you always have these hierarchical government or uh, private company monopolies that are still around and obviously trying to just suck money out of you. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of interesting.
1: Right. And that's that's pretty much exactly what it was talking about is is not wanting to look at the future in such a dull way. dismal kind of place and so retrofuturism is a alternative to that where it's um it's kind of a a brighter outlook on the advances of society and technology that's so cool i love this kind of stuff um kind of going along with the first one um it's very similar but it differs uh on where the dissatisfaction is. Instead of being uh, dissatisfied with the current outlook of the future, it's being dissatisfied with the modern world itself. So, a world of high-speed air transport, computers, space station, um, and, you know, looking at it in regards to the standard of the past, a futuristic society. Um, yet a the search for alternative and perhaps more promising futures suggests a feeling that the desired or expected future has failed to materialize. So it's kind of looking at it would be looking at where we are currently at right now and comparing it to where we thought we would be say 20 years ago and looking at the difference between what was expected and what is reality right now and and not really uh not really liking those differences. So retro Dude, fut- I I feel like we need to be in like a philosophy class, like a <laughs> like a
0: a 101 philosophy 101 in a college. This is kind of weird. <laughs>
1: it is weird. Um <laughs> so retrofuturism suggests an alternative path Um, and in addition to pure nostalgia may act as a reminder of older, but not forgotten ideals. Isn't that kind of crazy that almost sums up exactly what we podcast about. Yeah, I, I putting that together. I didn't even notice that, but that, yeah, that kind of is exactly what we started this show on. Huh? Wow. It's come full circle. Here on Youngstown. It
0: really has. And I did not mean to derail you if you were going to add anything on to what you were I was not. Talking about. I was done. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back and we'll round out the show with some cool, outrageous predictions that they did back in the day. And uh, one that is actually possible to come true within the next 10 years, at least, if not a little bit less. We'll be right back. <laughs> all right we are back i like saying we are back the funny thing is is that people aren't exactly (laughs) watching us but we never actually leave we just play the transition and act like we take a break but maybe i shouldn't have said that oh you let the cat out of the bag you let the cat out of the bag man (laughs) okay only this only this episode because we're crunched on time we just sat (laughs) we sat down the entire time
1: (laughs) Uh, that's better that's better no one will ever know (laughs) Yeah, I know.
0: Honestly, you would never know if we're telling the truth or not. So some outrageous predictions of retrofuturism. Um, Back in 1900, people actually suggested by the year 2000, certain letters of the alphabet would be simply gone. So there would be no C, X, or Q in our everyday alphabet. They would be abandoned because they were unnecessary. Spelling by sound would have been adopted first by the newspapers. And English will be a language of condensed words expressing condensed ideas. But I feel like English is like one of the most complex languages ever. That makes absolutely no sense. But apparently we would have gotten rid of C, X, and Q and just spelled things out the way they sound. But isn't that weird? Because then spellings just wouldn't be uniform. (laughs)
1: Like anything in the English language is uniform anyway.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? That,
1: that's absolutely
0: true. <laughs> I don't know. I could, oh that would be God. so
1: weird. Like, of course, they're not just going to change. The, the, the language itself isn't just going to morph into not having C, X, or Q anymore. That would just be, that would be dumb. But look, while you were talking, I was thinking about words that use the C, X, and Q. And, uh-huh would not really be that hard to re-spell any of those words phonetically. Right. Like, like s- talk about... Uh, C like can be xylophone. replaced by a K or S depending on the scenario. You know, it, there's... True. Quite a bit that could be replaced.
0: Yeah. X, like depending on where X is, like xylophone, that would just be a Z. Um, What about x-ray though? E, uh, E K S E K E-K- E K S E X. Well, I guess they didn't have X ray back then, so honestly, they probably would have never known. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it'd be hard to spell spell that with one spell a one letter phrase. Right, right. Oh, I love it. Oh That's my funny.
0: God. Um, another one is that everything will be coated in plastic and food comes in frozen bricks. This was predicted back in 1950. So everything would either be disposable or completely recyclable. Everything. Like everything in your household. Shoes, clothes, everything. So this is kind of where the prediction stemmed from uh, a, s- a short little anecdote. So when Jane Dobson would want to clean the house, she simply turns on the hose and washes down everything. Everything. Why not? Because future would actually just have upholstery included all plastic rugs, uh, drapes, unscratchable floors. Everything would just be like some sort of manufactured product. Of, you know plastic or, or or something just like easily disposed recycled anything all are made of synthetic fiber waterproof plastic after the water runs down a drain in the middle of the floor which could later easily be concealed and cover up by a rug of synthetic fiber Jane Dobson turns on a blast of hot air and everything dries right before friends and family come over how absolutely amazing is that
1: see it's this is funny because this definitely, definitely marks the entrance of plastics in general into, into the market. Um, you can, at, at this time, whenever this was claimed, you could definitely tell that the plastics were getting better. There were more options for different, uh, refined materials because anything prior to that, I mean, we're getting to a, a this is a point in time where everything pretty much prior, anything plastic was, it was junk. Um, right. You know, the, the technology behind the plastic. I mean, we had up until then, uh, for quite a, for all intensive purposes. I mean, the only real option for plastic was bakelite, which, eh, I mean, it was good for things. It was good for, but it super brittle and kind of crappy. Um, and so it's, at this time, I mean, plastic still weren't great. It's funny to think that, you know, of all the things that was coming, of all the of all the things to claim, uh, you know, if everything was going to be made of plastic and then look at the plastic technology of that time period, it's like, holy cow, I would not want anything made out of materials like that, you know, compared right. to what we have now. I mean, everything is plastic now and, you know, some things that, shouldn't be made out of plastic, are made out of plastic. But if, in reality, I mean, it's it's really good, versatile materials, but still completely different than what was available, say, in 1950. Um, I don't know. That, that whole thing just kind of – it was kind of funny. I know. I love it. That, <laughs> it caught
0: my eye, and I was like, this has to be in here. And then just to end this point where they uh, predicted frozen bricks, that food would just come in <laughs> – Hot pockets weren't invented until 1983, so they pretty much got that right. So, hey, kudos to them. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> another for any
1: science fiction to become reality, you just have to live long enough.
0: Right, right. Yeah, oh, that's so true. That's funny. That's a good one. Oh my god, that should just be, that should just be the the quote in our show description. Um, another, another. <laughs> un- <laughs> another uh outrageous um prediction is 3d televisions which they have been invented they have been made obviously did not really stick well on the market but they haven't been invented with completed smell-o-vision where you can literally smell what you're watching
1: i <clears throat> i just wonder what the what the thought process was behind this like this had to have been someone who just thought this idea up and didn't actually put any thought behind it, like how it would work <laughs>
0: right. like can you can you mute the smell of vision? You know I what would I mean? hope. I mean, because <laughs> if you're <laughs> you know you're watching something completely gross, like
1: what? <laughs> like you're watching uh, what was the what was the show uh, Dirty Jobs with Micro. Oh my gosh! Definitely would yes. not want smell of vision Like, <laughs> you'd turn <Right>. that off. <laughs> right,
0: right. Oh, you're watching Paula Dean. <laughs>
1: turn, turn that off. Uh, I don't know. I just that's crazy. I mean, there had to have been someone who was, was really grasping.
0: Uh, it's crazy. Maybe what they had is like these tubes that came out the back of the television that you'd put over your nose if you really wanted to smell it. Yes. So there's just tubes all over the living room of people smelling and yeah. inhaling whatever He's, the heck they're watching.
1: Jam those things up your nostrils if you. <laughs> want I love get- it, just like oxygen. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! All right, so the last
0: one we have to talk about to round out the show is colonies on the moon. This was predicted back in 1982, which uh, you know was obviously you know something that could be plausible because by that time we've already been to the moon, mm-hmm. um, and so. A kind of cool little high note, I'm sure uh, some people have been hearing the murmurs of uh, NASA's next big project is to go back to the moon um, You know, around the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. So here we are, and current project Artemis is what NASA is working on with private parties to actually get the technology around and send people to the moon, colonize the moon, and literally live and work on the moon. Um, and the hope is to get this established by 2024, but at least within the next decade. So that's that's absolutely crazy that we're getting to that point. I also think it's crazy that it's been 50 years since we've been to the moon. Out of all the stuff we've done, we haven't gone back. It's kind of weird to me.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, have, I am fully supportive of any space program. Um, I think it definitely has its place as a how do I want to say this definitely has a pl- its place as a government entity but i am also fully supportive of it in the private sector as well i think you know it i as long as there's appropriate funding for any sort of uh space exploration i am 100% supportive of that happening and it's not it's not for doesn't necessarily have to be for any other reason um, than just curiosity. You know, like I don't, I don't mm-hmm. need it. I don't need to justify it by trying to find someplace new to live, uh, looking for untapped resources on other planets. I, I could care less about any of that stuff. Like I just want to know what's out there. Right.
0: Yeah. It, and it's cool that we get to that point again. Um, mm-hmm. it's super neat to see that and kind of, all the high hopes of space travel in the late 20th century is now coming back around to to being re, like ramped back up. And it's going to be interesting to to, to be a part and witness uh, this kind of exploration about to occur. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love it. I mean, I'm look at you.
1: look at how much uh, look at how much space are kind of bringing it back, bringing it back to the show. Uh, look at how much space exploration has uh, fueled pop culture when it comes to, like, movies and TV shows. I mean, there's uh, Star Trek. I wouldn't really say Star Wars because that, you know, it's kind of just a story taking place, you know, in a galaxy far, far away.
0: um, Think about, like, Interstellar, um, Martian and all that mm -hmm. with, like, you know, all of that sci-fi, yes, but possible, Maybe.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, and that whole idea of just uh, the trials and tribulations of space exploration in general, I mean, that's been around for years and years, since well before even uh, this, you know, futurism became popular. Um, You know, whether it was uh, in, you know, comic books, uh, novels, that sort of thing. I mean, the space exploration and the results of that exploration have been super popular forever. Right. Right.
0: <clears throat> oh, cool. I think that's a perfect place to end episode 65, a retro look on retro futurism. Uh, <laughs> thank you guys so much for joining us here on Young Nostalgia. As always, please leave us a kind review and Give us a five-star rating. If you like what you hear, let us know down in your reviews what you like, recommend to your friends. We'd love to hear from you on what we're doing right and what we need to keep on doing. Also, give us an email at youngnostalgiapod at gmail.com to give us any show suggestions. Or if you'd like to be on with Ben and I, we'd love to talk to you. Um, You can always find us on your famous out there podcast apps, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, um, CastBox everywhere out there you'll be able to find us so just search young nostalgia and hit the play button as always great to have you here with us ben anything else big guy
1: nope that was super fun uh definitely should come back to that at some point in the future and kind of continue talking about uh uh futurism and retro futurism
0: i i totally i'm totally with you um just the the art style the the prospect of it what it was It's awesome to talk about how far we've come and what it looks like now. Well, thank you guys so much. End of episode 65. It's great to be back in the regular routine of Young Nostalgia. As we always say here on Young Nostalgia.
1: The bottle's empty and the ashtray's full.
0: We'll talk to you next week.